Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to episode 220 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. That's right. It's Liam. Liam, we are in the fifth Saturday of the month, which means we are, of course, taking a trip around the multiverse. We've been spending a lot of time in the multiverse as of late, <laughs> uh, but uh, we figured, hey, what? who are we to stop a tradition that we determined was a tradition on our own? Uh, that's right. We have to follow the adhere to the rules that we are making up on the spot here. So we are taking a trip around the multiverse, but we are exploring a new universe that we have yet to explore here on the DCAU Review. That's right. And uh, just in time, actually, the the new season just dropped this week, um, the first couple episodes at least. Um, So what better time to dive into the pilot of the uh, much celebrated Harley Quinn animated series? That is right, Liam. We will be reviewing just one episode this week. That is the pilot, as you mentioned, which is uh, goes by the title Till Death Do Us Part. Uh, we will check that out. And of course, we are going to get the official IMDb synopsis from you here in just a second before we jump into our four categories. But uh, before we do, let's remind our listeners that this episode originally debuted way back in November of 2019, specifically November 29th, 2019, was when the uh, the first season of Harley Quinn dropped on the then named wonderful DC <laughs> Universe app. Still, uh, still a big fan of that application. It's a it's a wonderful application. You can't get any video on it anymore, but uh, it's a great app. I, I I dare say maybe my favorite app in all of the world. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so before we do that, of course, the IMDb synopsis for this week's episode brought to you by the pod tower head over to youtube.com slash the pod tower get all of our previous 219 plus bonus episode reviews and much more plus great content from other dcau content creators that's youtube.com slash the pod tower please go and subscribe and like our videos that's right so this is the synopsis for till death do us part which was written by Dean Laurie, Patrick Shoemaker, and Justin Halpern, directed by Juan Meza Leon, with music by Jefferson Friedman, and animation by NE4U Inc. And that synopsis reads as such. Harley sets off to rule Gotham City and separate herself from being known as Joker's girlfriend. I would say that's a good synopsis for the series. I don't know that that this first episode really, I mean, at the very tail end, as we'll get to in plot, we see her sort of striking out on her own. But this really is more about the the breaking free of the the Harley Quinn you may be familiar with if you've 
say only seen her in Batman, the animated series or, or some of the other animated appearances she's had prior to this. That is fair. I, I dare give you a, uh, a higher grade than for, uh, for your synopsis versus this synopsis. So perhaps we, uh, we would grade this as didn't quite read the entire uh, in, or watch the entire episode, only watched the last two minutes and gave your synopsis based on that. <laughs> See me after class. Um, yeah, but I guess we can jump into our plot here, Liam. We, we open up here and I guess we need to be uh, to be fully transparent here and clear. If you're not familiar with this, this animated series, this is not at all a children's cartoon. And we are <laughs> we are dropped right in the middle of a scene that will tell you that this is not a children's cartoon. Not only are there uh, four letter words uh, dropped right and left all over this this cartoon, but there's a lot of extreme violence that we'll talk about and uh, in in visuals and animation just a second here. But uh, there is a there's a a ship about on the Gotham Harbor and Harley is uh, making a, a a speech in front of all of these well-to-do millionaires who are celebrating um, PG version screwing over the poor as they cheer to, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious. And uh, Harley drops in and begins to, to deliver her, her diatribe and, and try to drop some lines. And she's one-upped by none other than the Joker himself, who can't let Harley get too much uh, time in the sun here. She and he uh, begin sort of having this verbal spat back and forth as the, the millionaires attempt to defend not only their giant pile of cash that's just sitting open <laughs> on, <laughs> on the deck of their giant yacht, uh, but uh, they uh, they they begin bringing out all sorts of over the top weapons and uh, both both the millionaires and Harley and Joker and <laughs> that's because I forgot I had the acid bomb. But we agreed I'm the muscle. I do the hitting. You know, you're great. You're great. You do your thing. I do my thing. <laughs> you're the appetizer. I'm the entree. <laughs> the name Harley Quinn. I want him to piss themselves. I want a taste of that. You want a taste of piss? No, you know what I've meant. God, listen, Quinn, can't you see me in the Legion of Doom? That is just... <laughs> you don't want that. No, the, the Legion of Doom doesn't give memberships to sidekicks. You have to be... Partners. I want to be your partner in crime, for real. Can we talk about this later? If not, now when? I don't know. Tomorrow? I've kind of got my hands full right now. Violence ensues. Lots of people getting killed. Lots of blood. Lots of, uh, lots of un unsavory deaths occurring as these barbs go back and forth. And just as, uh, as Joker and Harley sort of come to this realization that Joker can't let Harley be the main focus of anything, and she is... Uh, is objecting wouldn't you know the dark knight does make an appearance and show up foiling harley and the joker but the joker manages to make an escape in his submarine as he does batman has uh, harley in in handcuffs and joker says that he can't afford to fit harley into his submarine but he's swears that uh, harley shan't spend much more than a single night in arkham and that he'll be there to break her out and 
from there we get we get a flash to uh the top of the gcpd where jim gordon who is written just completely he's he's off the he's off the rails he's just a complete spaz in this show he's paranoid he's talking to himself he's got ocd he's uh he's very he's on edge he's on he's on edge i will say that your cancer quinn Spreading from Gotham's lymph nodes into its spleen. And God help us if you get to Gotham's bladder. But I'm the chemo. How long is he going to keep doing this? You're a festering boil, Quinn. A bed sore. A tapeworm that sets up chopping Gotham flowers. Jim. All right. Where's the Joker? I'll never give up my pudding. Why are you protecting a psychotic clown who treats you like garbage? Ask the guy who... Bats. He doesn't do that, Jim. Sorry. And uh, so he and Harley and Batman are all on the roof, and they're trying to get information out of Harley. And she doesn't want to give Joker up, and says that she, as far as she's concerned, beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, and and some other inappropriate things, she knows that uh, that the Joker will not let her spend another night in Arkham. And then we get a time jump to six months later, and wouldn't you know, Harley's still in Arkham. Yeah, this is maybe from a comedic standpoint, my favorite sequence of the episode as, yeah, we have a couple of time jumps as it's, as you said, starts six months into her state Arkham, then we get to nine months and then it's a year. And uh, the whole time, of course, she has her her best friend and and, and future love interest, Poison Ivy there to uh, you know, just keep reminding her that the Joker doesn't care about her. And if, if he did, why would why would he be waiting so long to break her out? We get introduced to a few other of the uh, familiar Gotham rogues like Killer Croc, the Riddler, Calendar Man, who is a really funny little, it's like three bits where he just, where Ivy just offhandedly asks him for how long it's been. And he just pops up and says how long it's been and then disappears. But it cracked me up. I like, I like the initial bit too. He's there. They're all in the, uh, like the teleconference room where they all have visitors mm-hmm. and they're behind glass. And uh, apparently calendar man's wife and son are there. And she at, at calendar man knows to the day, how many days Harley has been in Arkham uh, upon request from, 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 uh, for boys and Ivy. But then uh, his wife gets quite mad when she realizes that he can remember that, but can't remember his own son's birthday. And there's a, there's, you know, there's some hilarity that ensues because of that, but, yeah, that was a that was a good line and a good little bit that continued throughout the show. Oh, Mr. J? Hmm? Oh, sorry, my bad. You looked a little like him. I don't know why you bother coming here. He's never showing up. <laughs> yeah, gone. But for the record, he does have a point. Just give me 15 more minutes. Joker's probably still fighting Batman. I don't know, hon. It's, you know, most superhero fights, they're not like... Uh, Calendar Man, how long has she been in here? Oh, hey, Ivy, 183 days. Oh, sure. You remember the incarceration date of porn clown over here, but not your own son's birthday. For the last time, I'm sorry, Debbie. Come on, I know it's June-ish. It's okay, Daddy. I brought you this cactus to keep you calm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, that's some of the most fun we have here. But yes, as uh, as we approach the one year and and Harley continues to uh, insist that the Joker loves her and and is just waiting for the right time to break her out. Finally, Poison Ivy uh, is able to break out uh, not only herself, but the Riddler and kind of causes a full scale riot. And uh, despite Harley's protest where she insists she wants to stay in Arkham, 
even while all of the uh, the guards are gone and then she has a, she can kind of walk right out. Uh, finally, Ivy sort of takes things into her own hands and uh, knocks her out and takes her with her as uh, as she as they wake up in Ivy's uh, hideout, which uh, where we meet a talking plant named Frank, who <laughs> uh, who is very upset the, about the house guests as, as Ivy sort of is once again pleading with Harley to let it go and even kind of holds up a, a photograph of uh, the former Dr. Quinzel and Harley has, this happens a couple of times throughout the episode, but has sort of a, an inner dialogue with herself, literally where the, the, the doctor, the, the analytical part of her brain lays out very clearly what this, uh, what this relationship she has with the Joker is and what, uh, what the problems are, but Harley can't quite uh, bring herself to quit the Joker um, and after having this, uh, this conversation, Ivy and, and her sort of finally get to the point where they've decided that Harley's going to, uh, to go tell the Joker off. And as, uh, as she, as they arrive at, uh, at the Joker's hideout and Harley does initially seem to, uh, to actually be willing to break things off with the Joker, but as they leave Joker pulling a classic move out of the guy who can never admit he's wrongs playbook uh, <laughs> then has to pretend this was all his plan. And he kind of does the, the Spider-Man thing where he's like, ah, it was too dangerous for us to be together because of all of my many enemies and Gordon and Batman will never let us be together. Unless of course our love is so powerful that oh, that doesn't on. matter. Ragweed. That's it? Just hey, Harley, you left me in Arkham for a year. You abandoned me. You lied to me. But this is the last time I am here to break up with you. Oh, sh she's dumping you. No, she's not. She doesn't call the shots. <laughs> yeah, because I'm calling a cab. See you never. Oh, sh uh, thank goodness. Hmm? She's finally doing exactly what I prayed she would. What? what? For Sake. Much as it destroys me to say it, Harley, I was going to insist on breaking up because it's the only way to keep you safe. What the hell are you talking about? Yes, no, please continue with your bullshit. The world's gone mad since you've been in Arkham. Have you seen Commissioner Gordon? He's lost it. He wants revenge because I paralyzed his partner. <laughs> he and Batman are hell-bent on destroying everyone I care about. That's why you didn't come get me? Keeping you away from me was the only way to protect you. And still is. So I'm afraid, my dear, this is a... Oh, it's a heartbreaking goodbye. No, 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 wait! No, no, wait. This is what you wanted, Harley. Is it? It is. Yes, you came here to do this. Yes! Listen to your awful friends. So, this is really the end? Yep, this is it. Let's go. Unless... Unless what? Unless our love is so powerful, even the threat of death can't keep us apart. <gasps> oh, screw it! I'll die for you any day. I'm in! Really? Me too! <laughs> what? The f just happened. We're gonna need some privacy. I've sorry, it's gonna get real gross real quick. At which point, of course, Harley runs right back into his arms, and uh, and Ivy is sort of left frustrated once again. And that's sort of where we get to our third act. Another subplot of this is that we find out that the riddle, the Riddler is is uh, also was freed the night that Ivy and Harley escaped, and that he's promising to have a riddle that is so funny that it will make people's heads explode. And the Joker is just furious that people think the Riddler is funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, there's there's quite some uh, quite some crude things that the Joker says about him, but he basically says that uh, he's most famous for being uh, the the most indirect a hole in all of Gotham. So I, <laughs> I, I thought that was quite hilarious. But uh, it's even it's even done so on the local news. The news is calling the Riddler the most funniest criminal in Gotham. So <laughs> it's it's just almost too perfect that this is happening. So both. Uh, both Harley and Batman arrive at the Riddler's hideout, which is this sphinx-shaped, uh, green, green-lit, question mark-covered hideout. And uh, they both arrive. Riddler has a, a riddle for both of them that they solve very quickly. They don't even let him get the entire riddle out of his mouth before both of them have solved it. And they realize that the answer to the riddle is that it is acid, uh, bat- in, in a in a trap that sort of mirrors the uh, the Batman Forever trap that had both Chase Meridian and Robin in it in these dueling sort of containers uh, that uh, he was threatening to drop. Uh, he captures Batman and Harley Quinn in these uh, spheres and is threatening to drop them into acid only for the Joker to arrive, which I kind of dug this because normally (laughs) you would have Batman having to make the decision, uh, you know, who's going to be dropped into the acid. And, and, and in this uh, episode, it's the roles of course are reversed and this time it's, it's Batman stuck with Harley also stuck and the Joker has to choose between the two of them. And, uh, Harley thinks it's a no-brainer that the Joker, of course, is going to pick her. Uh, and uh, we learn very quickly that uh, the Joker has a deeper love and bond for <laughs> Batman. Instead, he chooses to release Batman, and that has uh, that, of course, leaves the Riddler to drop Harley into what we believe is acid. We don't need this, you two. What is cold but still burns? What will eat you if you drink it? What? Acid. It's acid. I am not done. What? It. Wait. Did I say the thing about cold but still burns? Yes. Right. No. Because it's acid. No. Okay, it's acid. I'm dropping you in a pool of acid. You're making a big mistake. Because when my man hears about this, he's going to come running. Precisely what I'm counting on. Why don't I invite him over right now for a little game night? So you don't have a riddle so funny it makes people's brains explode? No. I knew it! You won't get away with this, Riddler. If there's no riddle, why are we here? To play a little game. (laughs) Choose one to live and one to die. And in the acid, the loser will fry. Is it the good kind of acid that gives you superpowers? No. Choose! Go ahead, tell him, Mr. J. Deep fry that bat. Yes, well, yes. Yes, it would seem an easy choice, Harley, but... <laughs> Puddin', even for you, that's a lot of maniacal giggling. Sorry, my little strung-up pheasant, but I couldn't possibly let this punctuation prick hey. credit for killing Batman. Now could I? Free the bats! Drop the broad! <laughs> As she drops into the acid, she sort of has this flashback to some memories, maybe her life flashing before her eyes. And we see her dancing with uh, with with the Joker on a rooftop in a very romantic scene and him proposing to her only for Dr. Harley and Quinzel to interrupt 
and ask her to remember it correctly in which she realizes that the romantic violinists were instead joker goons with guns and that they weren't dancing, but that Harley was in handcuffs on the roof and that the Joker was not holding a ring. He was holding a grenade. Uh, Harley, uh, even though she realizes that she's now remembering correctly, she doesn't quite remember why the Joker would wrap all of this scene up by saying till death do us part. And then she realizes uh, thanks to herself, thanks to Dr. Harleen, uh, that uh, Joker was not saying till death threw us part to, to Harley, but to Batman instead. And he did so before he threw the grenade and uh, kind of left, left, left the grenade in Harley's possession and Batman had to save Harley from the grenade exploding right then and there. So we, uh, she comes to the realization that the Joker does indeed love Batman more than her and uh it's at this moment that she's pulled out of what we believe to be acid by poison ivy she's quick to thank her but uh, poison ivy admits in that moment that a it wasn't acid it was margarita mix which was uh, hilarious and, uh, b that she she was responsible for the whole riddler setup and that she did so in order to convince harley that uh, the joker was indeed uh, up to no good and, and didn't care about her and that she deserved better and deserved uh, to uh, to kick Joker to the curb. So uh, it's at this point that uh, that Harley decides that for real this time, she is going to uh, to let Joker know that it's all over. That's right. So then we get the uh, the train transformation which we'll certainly talk about because she's been in her sort of original classic uh gesture outfit for the whole episode but we get the the transformation into and uh i'll just say we've talked about this a little bit before about how you know comic book creators probably are not probably definitely don't get the compensation or recognition they deserve definitely not but she literally she turns into an amanda connor drawing yeah 100 uh, <laughs> percent um, and actually, Amanda Connor is credited as a character designer on this show. I saw, so they she at least is credited in in the show. In the show, but as far as you know, just a complete revamp of the character. Her along with her her husband Jimmy Palmiotti, who wrote uh, you know like three giant omnibuses worth of the the new Fifty Two Harley book. That sort of all of this is it's not directly based on that, but the sort of the story of Harley striking out on her own and getting her own. <laughs> side you know her own like wacky side characters and and, and the, the humor and all of that mm -hmm. it's very 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 similar and the the yes. meta nature of everything yeah yes there's that's that pretty much all comes from that run and uh yeah they, those people should be millionaires because yeah <laughs> they made uh they made dc and warner brothers a whole lot of money um but anyway uh yes she she transforms very much into that look we'll perhaps get more into that into visuals but uh and then returns to the joker hideout one last time where uh, she defiantly tells him that she's going to uh she's not just going to become a villain in her own right but in fact she's going to replace the joker as the number one villain in gotham and he of course sicks all of his goons on her and uh, even though her, her mallet is destroyed, she finds her new favorite weapon, which, of course, is the, the trademark baseball bat that, again, you would see her hold in a lot of toys and, and statues and things these days. And movies. <laughs> yes, and movies. Very good point. Um, and, uh, and she uh, eventually is able to, to take out all of the, uh, 
the Joker's goons and has a chance, has the Joker dead to rights, but tells him that she wants to let him live so that he can watch as she takes over Gotham and, and everything that was his. So that's sort of our, our mission statement for the show as, as Ivy and, and Harley are, are walking off into the sunset sort of with, with Harley having her new mission statement that she's going to go out and prove herself to be uh, just as bad as any of the other uh, top tier villains of Gotham city. There you go. And then we uh, roll credits as they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So I will say, uh, we can kind of get into discussing our plot scores here, Liam, Uh, as, as we stated at the top, not a children's cartoon, very different uh, spirit in this Mm -hmm. than you would, you would expect to see in a, in a DCAU property, Uh, even very different than even some of the, more mature adult movies that we've covered when it comes to the mm-hmm. DC AMU. This has the dark humor and the, the, the just unfiltered language and the, the, it, it's an adult cartoon. It's just meant to be for adults. So uh, it's a little bit harder. I felt like to put this up against some of the other <laughs> stuff that we, that we've watched because of the tone. It's like, if you dropped, you know, a rated R family guy, uh, episode into the dcau or or if you if you made uh with the violence the way the violence is and we'll talk about that in just a second but if you took the deadpool movie and made it into a cartoon movie for for dc like it's it's very very rick and morty i think and the the tone of the jokes and and the and the -the over-the-top violence for sure like that's definitely that that type of audience is definitely who this is uh aimed at as opposed to uh you know a a fun for the whole family sort of thing that we we might review on a normal week absolutely and i I will say the dialogue is lightning quick the jokes are written very very well you know in this day and age where you've had cartoons like family guy and the simpsons and all these quick-witted quick dialogue cartoons on for so long it feels you know it feels difficult to break new ground at times. So I don't know that, I don't know that this breaks new ground, but I will say that it, it at least does what it was out set out to do, which is kind of be on that level of, of tone for, for a cartoon for an adult. So um, I don't know. I I've watched, I had seen this before, before what going into it. And I think I watched at some point, most of, if not all of the, of the first season, uh, on and off. I think, I think I watched it while, you know, doing other stuff, had it on in the background. So uh, I hadn't remembered a lot of the stuff that happened, but that, you know, I, I, the joke still caught me by surprise. Some of the one-liners and, and little things that the misogynistic nature of the Joker, when he comes out, uh, the line that made me cackle is when he says, women aren't, women aren't funny and, <laughs> and Harley standing right there. I thought that was hilarious. Um, you know, it pokes fun at the very misogynistic uh, nature of, of, of the, that type of character and makes him out to look like a fool as, as it should. So I, I do appreciate did appreciate some of that stuff. Um, I, I didn't quite get the, the Frank, the plant, uh, uh character it completely, I guess it's just another character for Ivy to bounce off of when they do stuff later on in the series and her apartment and all that. So it's, it's something there. And all of these shows kind of have to have a, an ensemble cast of like 50 people. It seems like it, whether it's this or Bob, 
Bob's Burgers or any of those other ones where you just have 500 characters in it. It's like the Simpsons formula. You know, you got to have 500 characters that, that come in and pop in so that people can go, oh, yeah, it's that guy. So um, all those reasons, uh, I settled on a score of seven out of 10. I think it's good for what it is. I don't know that uh, I don't know that I would have sat down and watched this with the interest of like, like with the determination to watch it and do a review of it if we didn't have a podcast, obviously, but I, I think it's fine for what it is. Um, I just think that I'm in a different place in my life for this type of cartoon and cartoon humor, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, I ended up settling on the same score. That's the thing. It's like the things I enjoyed the most about this. And again, I, yeah, I think I had seen this once before, um, is, is the, the wacky side characters, uh-huh. you know, the, like we already talked about calendar man, the Gordon in this show, I think is so funny. Yes. Uh, Cause he starts out, he's doing like a, a, like a Frank Miller monologue <laughs> about like a uh, Harley Quinn's a cancer festering in the city, but I'm the cure or whatever. Right. And then he just uh, kind of pulls back and you just see this like horribly disheveled, insecure man. Yeah. And like there's later, there's a scene where he, he and Batman are talking about the Riddler, but right before Batman goes to, uh, to confront the Riddler with Harley and uh, and he tries to invite Batman to a barbecue <laughs> but Batman swings away before he can finish before he can finish the sentence like just just little bits like that that I think are really really funny and it's like that's the stuff I really found myself the overall narrative like I said you're you're really doing a lot of building blocks because I guess you, you wanted to do sort of a a narrative reason you didn't want to just start the show with her already breaking out on her own. So you have most of this first episode, I feel like isn't quite as reflective of what I think works so well about the series, which is all the, you know, the wacky characters and other villains that she surrounds herself with. Whereas this one is much more narratively focused on just getting her, you know, broken free from, from the, the version of Harley that maybe people are familiar with. So yeah, all, all things considered, I still think it's good. I think it's it's pretty funny. Like you said, the jokes are fast and they come they come very quickly. And it's again, it's very raunchy and funny and and violent, certainly, as we'll talk about visuals more in a second. But uh, yeah, overall, I think a good a good solid seven for both of us. I think we we both definitely had a good time with this. For sure. All right, Liam, let's move on to our visuals and animation for this week. And I know you mentioned the animation studio at the beginning was definitely not one that I was familiar with. Mm -mm. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's a different, uh, it's definitely a different, more modern style of animation than we're used to. Um, As far as the characters are concerned, you already mentioned that the, that the Harley, the initial Harley Quinn that we get is very much the character model from Batman, the animated series, or that originated in Batman, the animated series mm-hmm. continued in the comics up until the, the revamp of the character in the, I guess the early 2000 or mid two thousands, I guess, right around that new 52 era. Yeah. So it would have been like 2011 ish, I guess when they, and even then this, this version is kind of, a, I think, maybe a little bit further into that run. I think her initial look was a bit different when they first launched that. But yeah, certainly when, uh, again, when uh, Miss Miss Connor and Mr. Palmiotti took over the book is kind of when, when that more that more modern look with the like the red crop top and and the the I think the 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 blonde 
like uh, cotton candy colored hair, I think came, it is from the Suicide Squad live action movie. I think that was added in. I think she originally had red and black hair as well. But uh, but yeah, this is very much, uh, yes, just kind of inspired by that. I guess would have probably been like 2012, 2013 era of her comics when, when uh, those two creators took over. There you go. Uh, well, uh, all that to say, um, I kind of dig the way that everybody looks. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Jim Gordon, the disheveled looking sort of uh, just beaten down cop who's losing it, uh, looks pretty, you know, matches mm-hmm. the voice that, that we get for it that we'll talk about in just a little bit here. And uh, the Joker sort of has that modern uh, uh, haircut with like the, where they do the thing where they flip it back and you get the fade on the side, you know, the, the like mm-hmm. preppy white guy uh, haircut that everybody had from like 2012 <laughs> to 2017. Yeah. It's kind of the, the Greg Capullo Joker. If you right. uh, from the, from the end, end game, I think yes. that was called end game. Yep. Uh, the, his, his last Joker story with Scott Steiner. There you go. Uh, we have, uh, we have the Riddler who just has a, who looks like sort of like the Edward Dingma that we left in Batman, the animated series or mm-hmm. the new Batman adventures rather, but uh, he's got a big question mark tattoo on his head. And then uh, we get killer croc who looks like a, a crocodile, an anthropomorphic a crocodile calendar man is just kind of a chubby, chubby guy with numbers on his head. Uh, but we don't did, uh, not and poison ivy, of course, who looks like a more modernized poison ivy with the green skin. She's got sort of a track jacket or something that she wears mm-hmm. uh, on top of uh, on top of her 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 normal jumpsuit, what have you. But uh, yeah, I thought the character models looked pretty solid. Uh, I feel like a lot of the animation is done because of the the cuts are done so quickly that there's not as much character movement or there's not much done. A lot of it is dialogue. Mm-hmm. So it's just mouths moving and characters maybe shifting to the right or to the left. And that might be for budgetary reasons. That might be for uh, who knows just the way that modern cartoons are done, but uh, there's, there's less moving of characters, more close up on character faces. I feel like than uh, than you would in a, in a typical superhero action cartoon or modern mm-hmm. superhero action cartoon. But that's because this, I feel like the show is done in for the main part of the show is dialogue. It's not, it's not necessarily action heavy. However, as stated at the top, there's a lot of violence in this, including (laughs) blood bones popping out of people's uh, orifices, uh, skin being ripped off of people, people (laughs) exploding. There's a lot there. What did you, uh, would you have for your notes? Yeah, I think I, I had similar notes about the, the character design. Shane Glines was actually the lead character designer on this series who did a lot of work on Batman Beyond and the new Batman Adventures as well. So I think that is, while this show definitely has its own unique uh, visual style to it, I think you do you do settle into it very quickly as, as feeling, you know, feels familiar. And I think it matches the kind of the pacing of the, uh, the episode. Everybody has these very, you know, big expressive eyes and, and faces and things like that, that I think work well for that. Um, I, yeah, the, the, as you mentioned, there's not a ton of action, but the two, the opening bit on the, on the ship where Joker and Harley are just, just running through these, uh, these sort of, you know, rich gangster types on, on the boat 
and then uh, and then the end where Harley's fighting off all of the Joker's goons. Yeah, it's just you see bones popping through skin and blood and missing teeth and 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 gore and, and the other. There's a bit kind of in the middle where Harley's Harley's fighting a bunch of uh, a bunch of guards at Arkham while she's still locked in a straitjacket and she she Mike Tyson's one of them. She uh, she bites <laughs> the ear off and and is like headbutting one of them really violently and. <laughs> And tries tries to kick uh, one of them in the groin and then looks up and realizes it's a woman and and then like jumps on her shoulders and starts headbutting her it's like it's just yeah the the violence is all like very hyper quick and violent and uh, and wild and that's 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 definitely again something that we're we when I mean, we talked about uh, you know for years how how rare blood was in uh, especially those early Batman, the animated series episodes, but really throughout all of our, our main shows here. So it is, it is an adjustment and you have to just keep reminding yourself that it's uh, it's, you know, it's a different kind of show. And, and I think it fits the pace of, uh, you know, I think it fits the vibe that this show is going for, which is again, like we talked about that very, you know, the family guy, the, the Rick and Morty style, like, uh, you know, definitely centered, you know, directed at, you know, teenagers and, and, and young adults who, you know, just see that, that hyper-violence and, and all of that. And I think that that does work, work really well for it. And yeah, the character designs, I think are all pretty fun. Um, I ended up settling on a, on a pretty strong uh, nine out of 10 for my visual storage. Cause I think those, uh, those opening and closing fight scenes, they're so over the top, the bit where, the Joker, you think the Joker's going to take a mask off, but it turns out he's actually wearing this person's <laughs> skin as a suit. And then he proceeds to, once he tears it off, puppet it with where, while you see, you know, the guy's, the flesh of the guy's uh, scalp, uh, you know, dripping blood off of it. It's just so over the top and silly. <laughs> She's not exactly alone. She brought a plus one. <laughs> it's me, Joker. Apologies, but your friend Rupert just couldn't face coming out here. <laughs> I'm so sad. Where's my body? Couldn't. What, what the f are you doing? You're not supposed to take his face off yet. I had this covered. Yes, well, I, I thought up that great plus one line, and then I'm not going to not puppeteer his face. <laughs> All right, fine. I think it's. Uh, I think it's just like I said. It's. It's very. It's it's so violent that it's almost uncomfortable. It's a bit where he throws like an acid bomb, and you just see guys, you know, like uh, it's like the Raiders of the Lost Dark thing, like their flesh all melts off, and then you see the skeletons and uh -huh. and things like that. It's just it's so it's so over the top that it almost becomes like uh, yeah, it, it almost becomes it almost starts to wash over you at a point. But again, I think that's that's part of the point is that it is so over the top and violent because. This is this is set at a different audience than what we're used to. So yeah, like I said, for for what it set out to do, I uh, I think they did a, a pretty darn great job throughout the throughout the whole episode, but especially those action uh, those action beats. Yeah, uh, I went just a couple points lower. I went a seven out of ten. Um, this this type of over the top violence, I feel like it was just a little like I understand there wasn't as much action. I feel like maybe I would have complained if there wasn't as much action. Like, that oh, was too dialogue heavy. But this, because of the amount of violence in it, it was just a little bit too much having those three scenes. You have, as you mentioned, the, the ship scene, then the mid the midpoint where she's 
breaking out of Arkham or fighting the guards in Arkham. And then you have the last scene with the Joker's goons. Are the Joker's goons zombies, by the way? Because they, <laughs> they kind of look like zombies and act like zombies at times. But it's not it's definitely not clearly stated that they are zombies. Yeah, so- I, I'm not 100 percent because, yeah, there's the one guy that he. I forget the name is is almost like a zombie pun too. I want to say and and uh, he uh, he shoots him in the chest like three times and the guy just kind of keeps talking. So uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if that was. They all have like scars on their face and like a a, a lazy eye or like a, something wrong with their eyes. So I, I I'm not sure that wasn't abundantly clear. But that last scene, if and if they are zombies, then then maybe I would have if it was more clear that they were zombies, maybe I would have given it less of a, or a a point higher or so, but the three really brutal scenes, like it's just a little bit too over the top for me. It's just not my, not my jam. It was done well, but it's just not my jam. So I, maybe I should have taken a point off from the plot and and made the, uh, the score here a a point higher because it is done well. That's for sure. Uh, We didn't talk about the Batman model uh, at all, but he is sort of, I I feel like a a hybrid between the, uh, the, the modern day Batman, the new 52 style Batman sort of married to the, the dark Knight returns Batman. He's a little bit wider, a little bit, Mm -hmm bit uh bit bulkier than than we've seen in prior animated appearances but uh he's uh and his voice matches him as we'll talk about in just a few seconds here a familiar voice behind the scenes but uh yeah i think i think the visuals are fine i think it's just it would be getting used to that over the top violence and if that's something that continues throughout the series then maybe Maybe, uh, as you mentioned, it would be something that you can kind of normalize and get used to and be okay with. But it, it is shocking at points, especially some of the, especially the scene, as you mentioned, where she bites, bites the guard's ear off was just a little too <laughs> brutal for brutal sake for me. So that's probably why I gave it a little bit, uh, a little bit less of a score than you did. So, all right, Liam, well, that will move us on to our next category, which is going to be music. And this week's uh, composition and soundtrack come from a Mr. Jefferson Friedman, uh, who uh, composed the uh, the tunes for this week's episode. Uh, Got to be honest, uh, other than some some background music in those fight scenes and uh, a couple of the uh, the more poignant moments, including where uh, Harley is sort of lecturing herself and she's having the dream sequence. By the way, didn't mention it, but the dream sequence where she's dancing with the Joker did remind me an awful lot of that famous Joker painting that Alex Ross did mm-hmm. uh, where there there's an Alex Ross painting. One of our, one of my favorite and your favorite artists of all time uh, of Joker and Harley dancing. And uh, I thought that that was a, a nice homage to that as well. But uh, as far as the music is concerned the music accompanying that, I love that the music sort of shifts as she, as Harleen shows up and, tries to correct her memory and it starts to shift and become more sinister and uh, a little bit darker as she realizes mm-hmm. that she's not remembering things quite as they were. Um, I will say that when Batman arrives in that mm-hmm. scene, also the Batman theme, it's not, a, it's not one of the themes that we're used to, but it's inherent. It felt inherently Batman to me. It's very, yes. it's a uh, very orchestral and very dark brooding, but the, triumphantly sort of crescendoing as Batman makes the appearance. And she has Mm -hmm. this realization that Joker uh, loves Batman more than her. So uh, I thought that was good. And then I think the, uh, the the culmination of the episode as she's battling Joker,
Joker's goons in his warehouse and sort of the, the warehouse is being destroyed around her. I thought that was a, a pretty solid piece of music as well. What about you? Yeah, I think those were the standouts for me. I did make a note of the the Batman theme that would kind of play whenever he showed up. Very uh, evocative of a of a Shirley Walker theme, even though it's not quite the one we're used to there. Um, uh, yeah, I think the the Harley theme itself that we hear it's kind of played just briefly when you get the the title card of the show and then over the credits. But they also bring it in when uh, when she's fighting the Joker's goon at the end. You have this really really fast paced sort of drum based. I don't, th- I don't think you can call it ska because there's no horns in it, but it's that kind of like just really fast paced, really snare drum focused uh, music, which I which I appreciate as a as a, a drummer myself and in, in my real life. Um, but I, I appreciate that it's just really fast paced. And, and even though it's not maybe a, a theme you would hum, I think it fits what they're going for with this. That, you know, there's clearly sort of that feeling of the you know, you know, we're, we're changing all the rules and, and now the, you know, now the, the college kids are running, running the campus type of type of vibe going on when, you know, when Harley kind of finally breaks free and, and goes after the Joker herself. So I think, I think that fits really well with the, with the show's motif. And so, yeah, I think the, the Harley theme and the, and the Batman theme were kind of the, the two bits I had in there. Um, so yeah, overall, I, uh, I settled on a, a six out of 10 for music. Um, like I said, I didn't have many other notes beyond that. I, I did make a note of the, uh, the theme playing during her kind of her fantasy where she, where she's convinced herself that the Joker was proposing to her. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of a nice sequence, but this is another show. I think that when a lot of, because it's so dialogue driven, um, a lot of those scenes, like the scenes in Arkham, the scenes in Harley in, uh, in Ivy's apartment, there just isn't any music. So, uh, like I said, I think, uh, I think the, the character themes are kind of when it, when it shines the best. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I gave it the exact same score, six out of 10. It's not a show that based on the, on, on the review of just this episode, it doesn't seem like a show that needs to, or that is going to focus a lot on music other than maybe punctuating a joke or punctuating a particular poignant moment. And that's okay. It just, it doesn't lend to there being a lot of impactful pieces because of that. It doesn't mean that the pieces are bad. As we've stated, there are things that we noticed and things that we thought that were, that were good. It was just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't needed or asked to be much more than mood setting music for at least for this episode. So, and based on what we know about the show, likely not for the duration of it, but be interesting if we revisit this show in the future, what the, you know, what that, uh, what our perception is of episodes going going forward but six out of ten is still better than uh better than 50 percent. so that's uh that's it's a higher grade than that it's a 60 percent grade <laughs> it's a passing grade passing grade that's right these get degrees as they say there we go uh, but anyway yes uh that's uh yeah that, that that's kind of my my thought on it. it just doesn't seem like it's a very at least for this first episode not a not a big uh, music musically focused episode because it's so much of a you know a joke machine and everything's kind of focused on the uh the dialogue Yeah, uh, I I concur. All right, Liam, let's move on to our last category, which is going to be uh, a fairly large one to cover because we have an entirely new cast from a a show that we've never covered before. But there may or may not be a few voices that uh, we are familiar with from either past performances in DCAU work or DC animation work. Uh, or uh, just maybe knowing them from being famous actors or actresses. Let's talk about this week's voice cast. 
That is right, Cal. So I'll just get the uh, the, the known ones uh, out of the way very briefly. Phil Lamar does make a small appearance in here. <laughs> one of the background actors. So I wanted to, uh, of course, shout him out as one of the, the, the goats of the DCAU voice acting. Uh, but uh, elsewhere in our cast, playing the Riddler, we have Jim Rash, uh, who uh, he's a very funny writer and director. He's won an Oscar, I believe, for I forget if it was for a screenplay or, or for writing or what it was. But uh, I know him and you knew, know him best as the, the dean on Community, which is uh, my favorite show. I, I don't know. It, it, it changes kind of, you asked me that question five times. I might give you five different answers, but <laughs> community is very, very near and dear to my heart. And his role as this, uh, as the Dean on that show is definitely, I think one of the more memorable characters on it. So even though it's a small role here as the Riddler, I, uh, I just love that he's here. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's a great actor. Uh, as you mentioned, his role in Community, he steals every scene that he's in on that show. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, he's pretty funny. Uh, I love his dialogue back and forth with Poison Ivy, where he tells her that she should have gotten the Costco card. Uh, they have some cards <laughs> back and forth between that. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, there's a, 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 a PG 13 reason or way that, that, uh, uh, that he supplied, uh, the, the plant for, for her, uh, for Ivy in order to, uh, to get her, uh, to allow the Arkham breakout to occur. Uh, so we, we learned that, that he's partially responsible for that. So yeah, there's, uh, he, he doesn't have a lot to do, but I, I feel like that, uh, that the little bit of dialogue that he gets to do with uh, with our Batman and our Harley Quinn, uh, where they cut him off and don't even let him finish the uh, finish the riddle. I thought that was that was pretty solid, too. So that that whole scene with the uh, with the death trap set up is uh, is really where he gets to flex most of his voice acting chops and uh, doesn't miss. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, else, elsewhere in the cast, we have J.B. Smoove. Uh, playing Frank the Plant, who, of course, folks would know from Curb Your Enthusiasm. And uh, he's one of the teachers in the the more recent Spider-Man movies. Um, uh, don't get a lot of him in this episode, but it, it feels more like, wouldn't it be funny if we had this very famous comedian voice a, a talking plant? Yeah, like that seems to be most of the conceit of uh, of frank as a character yeah i did laugh there's a one in the only scene or the the main scene that he's in uh there's a bit of dialogue between him and poison ivy and poison ivy mentions that she has uh she has paid she had paid a young man to come over and water the plants but he clearly hadn't been doing his job and uh and and frank decides uh yeah that guy quit uh, one week after showing up and then he vomits up a skeleton and uh that is clearly supposed to be the boy that uh, was watering the plants <laughs> And Poison Ivy asks him, well, what happens if his parents start come looking for him? And he says, yeah, that won't happen. And then he proceeds to vomit up a, a pair of other of other skeletons, of course, that are the, the kid's parents. So that's the part that's most memorable for me for that that character, at least in this episode. Uh, I know there's a lot of other dialogue that he gets in further episodes because there's uh, a lot of stuff that takes place in Harley's or uh, in Harley and Ivy's shared apartment. So uh, more for him for the rest of the, uh, the series and uh, not much to do for this week. Absolutely. And uh, elsewhere, we have a uh, Christopher Maloney as, uh, as Gordon. Um, I think we've already kind of covered his highlights, but yes, just playing this completely, <laughs> out of his mind, disheveled, insecure, weird version of Commissioner Gordon, who just looks like he's 
you know, just a second away from a heart attack or, or completely like the that. opposite version of the character that he plays on law and order. Who's kind of just yes. calm <laughs> badass that is, you know, that has it all together and, you know, is leaning on, 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 on criminals and, you know, he's cool mm-hmm. collected and nothing shakes him. And yeah, he's completely the opposite in this case. He's, you know, he's falling apart. He's trying to get Batman. You know, he thinks Batman's awesome and he wants, wants Batman to, to be his friend, but Batman wants nothing to do with him. Uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's cracking up, you know, he, he definitely needs to th- see a therapist. It's, it's a, uh, it's definitely a unique performance and it's a unique spin on the Jim Gordon character that we haven't seen. And I, I feel like he does a, does a, does a pretty good job doing so. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of Batman, another familiar voice we have here, Cal, uh, not not a ton of uh, dialogue for him in this episode, but it's always nice to hear the great Diedrich Bader uh, mm-hmm. playing the role of the Dark Knight as he shows up at the beginning. And then, of course, as we said, is involved in the uh, the death trap that uh, that the Riddler has seemingly set up to try to uh, to try to make the Joker choose between Harley and Batman. Uh, yeah. And he, he doesn't get he is not really there to be to be humorous. He's kind of the straight man who's. Uh, has to uh, endorse some uh, some verbal slander, I would say, <laughs> from uh, from from Harley involving what he does with bats, uh-huh. uh, and then uh, as well as just having to react to uh, Christopher Maloney's uh, Jim Gordon. But always good to have Mr. Bader on the show. Absolutely, and he again, everybody else around him is is playing either a a wild caricature of the version of their of their character, or is just straight. Uh, straight comedic character or what have you and that's pretty much what happens around him at him being Dietrich Bader's Batman in the in the Batman Brave and the Bold obviously this is a mm-hmm. little bit darker a little bit uh, a little bit less dialogue and le- less focus on him in this uh, this show but he plays that character well there the the completely serious no nonsense Batman and they just said hey can you dial that up again and and, and give us a, a solid dark Batman performance a, a straight laced no nonsense Batman and wouldn't you know he uh, I'd say he he knocked that one out of the park pretty uh, pretty well absolutely absolutely he does a great job as always and uh, our last few voice actors here to talk about we have uh, Alan Tudyk playing the role of the Joker. Uh, Alan Tudyk's one of those guys. He's in a million things and uh, yeah. often doing uh, doing uh, a more comedic role, perhaps. But uh, you, know, you might know him. He was actually the voice of a. Uh, he's the voice of the main droid in uh, in Rogue One. He was on Firefly. He was uh, Steve the Pirate in Dodgeball. <laughs> That's right. That's a good. That is a great fool right there. You know, Steve, and, Steve uh, the Pirate. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, does, has done a lot of other uh, voice acting work as well. Yeah, he's a pretty good, a pretty good joker here. We he he, other than our our main leads, who we'll talk about in a moment, probably has the most to do in this episode. And he actually, although that character doesn't appear in this episode, he also pulls dual uh, roles later on as he also voices Clayface in this series as well. So uh, yeah, very, very talented actor, very you know talented comedic actor, especially. And I think you already kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but the kind of the, the, the very on the nose sort of misogynistic keeping Harley in his back pocket at the start of the episode where he's talking about how women aren't funny and, you know, stepping all over her punchlines and everything and insisting that he be the, the one to, uh, to actually commit all of the murders that she is trying to commit is, uh, 
yeah, and him just trying to overshadow her. The scene where where she tries to break up with him the first time and he turns it around to actually this is what I wanted, I think is really, really clever and really funny. That, yeah. The so. gaslighting the gaslighting scene is, is <laughs> spot on. Um, I will say his Joker voice is a is a slightly like I think more serious version of the King Candy voice that he did in Wreck-It Ralph, <laughs> which is maybe one of my favorite cartoon voices of all time. Like anytime <laughs> I hear the the King Candy voice, I just like I, it just makes me giddy inside. So this this Joker is in the same vein as the King Candy voice, so that makes me love it even more. Um, you know, it's it's its own unique thing. He definitely comes off as being this maniacal, self involved. Involved, uh, gaslighting, terrible, like terrible human being. So uh, the the voice, the vo- the the fact that the voice matches that ma- matches the actions of what the cartoon character is doing on screen, I think works really well. I, you know, the scene where he's trying to figure out the the Wi-Fi password when Harley <laughs> walks in, I cackled at that when it. Oh, come on. Hey, does anyone know our damn Wi-Fi password? Harley? Is that you? It's me, Ked. Uh, by the way, that's also the Wi-Fi password. What is? It's me, Ked, or just me, Ked? Yeah, it doesn't matter. You look fantastic. Is that new lipstick? Or... You treated me bad. What? You lied to me. Oh. You never loved me. Come I on. know that now. Well, well, that's nonsense, Puddin'. My motives are never clear. I'm an agent of chaos. That's what you love about me. Not anymore. We're through. Oh, yeah. This again? Let me make this clear. You don't ever break up with me. I'm the top supervillain in Gotham. Not for long, because you're looking at your replacement. You? (laughs) Replace me? I created you. You won't even get out of this building alive unless I let you. There were several moments where I, I cackled to myself just just uh, watching this by myself here, but uh, and and most of them were were the Joker's lines, whether it was him with Harley or just just one liners that he delivered. But yeah, really solid stuff from him. Really enjoyed uh, Mr. Tunick's uh, performance as the Joker. His his own unique spin, and we've talked about it with the, the myriad of different Joker performances that we've heard. It's very very hard to put your own unique spin on it since the legendary performance of mark hamill so to set mm. yourself apart not just do a mark hamill impersonation and come across as a as a funny effective version of the joker is uh, is no easy task and i think uh, mr tudyk did a did a fantastic job yeah absolutely uh, last last slide i'll mention of his is when when he's in the disguise which again turns out to be a skin suit uh <laughs> and, and he addresses the other rich like gotham gangsters as my fellow whites <laughs> <laughs> i howled <laughs> i thought that was so funny uh, he refers to them as my fellow whites uh that really that really made me laugh but the yeah, he's uh, he's fantastic as he as he often is in these these comedic voice acting roles. But sort of as our last two, we have Lake Bell as Poison Ivy, who I probably know best from the Adult Swim uh, Children's Hospital series. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I thought she she was very funny on that. She was also on Boston Legal once upon a time. Has been in a few other uh, lots of other movies. Has also done some other voice acting work on things like. Bojack Horseman and most recently she is she is the 
stand-in sound-alike for uh, Scarlett Johansson on the Marvel What If show. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, she has some other uh, voice acting chops to her name as well. But as far as setting up, uh, she's, she feels like she's they've set up that, like, Poison Ivy is Daria in the show. <laughs> like, she's uh, maybe not quite that devoid of emotion or that sarcastic, but she's just this you know, completely kind of walled off. Everything she says is kind of said with this sort of sarcastic droll to it, even though it's clear that she does really care for Harley and does want her to break free from the Joker, but she can't, she can't just like make a big emotional plea. She has to kind of like ease, ease Harley into it through these schemes. And then as you already mentioned her, her scene with, uh, with JB Smooth's Frank, when, when he uh, reveals that he, he, he ate, the people that were supposed to be keeping an eye on her plants and then uh, the bit with her and, and Jim Rash's Riddler arguing about Costco, I think are both both fantastic too. And then, yeah, she gets a lot to do with Harley as kind of being the, uh, the angel on her shoulder as much, as much as anyone in this show is an angel. Uh, she gets to kind of play the, the voice of reason for Harley in this. Yeah. Yeah. She, she has some good chemistry with, uh, with Harley as we'll talk about her in just a second, but uh, I, I think, and that's the most important thing here because obviously they're, they're, they're headed towards this complicated love triangle between the three of them, the Joker, uh, Harley and, and poison Ivy here. So we, we need to make sure that this Harley ha- or this Ivy rather has some sort of a chemistry with Harley and, and is able to, to kind of separate and differentiate herself from the Harley Quinn character. They're basically just sort of doing the same uh, character makeup that we saw in Batman, the animated series where Harley is the goofball and, and Ivy is the, is the straight woman in this case or the straight plant i don't know is she a plant is she a woman we're not sure she's (laughs) she does she's not the comedic she's very dry she's got a dry sense of humor everything she delivers is very dry every line is delivered very dryly so uh you're setting up the same dynamic that we're kind of used to but you still have to have a a bit of chemistry a pun intended between the two of them and i i feel like lake bell does enough uh and shows enough emotion despite having uh having it uh, dialed back uh, in comparison to uh, our Harley Quinn and our Joker here uh, to still come across as an, uh, as an effective character. So I I liked her performance. I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah, totally agree. And uh, that there Cal will bring us to our our main event here in the voice acting section, playing Harley Quinn uh, and perhaps controversially, I don't know at the time if this was controversial or not, uh, but not doing the Brooklyn accent. Only from time uh, to time. She says Mr. J a couple dozen times. Yes. That's the only time she she does it. Yes. Uh, But of course we have Kaylee Cuoco uh, from the, from most famously from the Big Bang Theory and uh, lots of other television and movies. Simple roles for dating my teenage daughter. That's right. Absolutely. R.I.P. John Ritter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I'm laughing. The man is dead. But... (laughs) Because I you weren't expecting a John Ritter <laughs> reference on this episode. I have no I, doubt in my mind that you were not expecting anybody <laughs> to say you or me to say R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, that one was not on the bingo card, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, but yes, playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John Ritter. May he rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> well, back back on the Ritter cast here. Uh <laughs> I have, uh, yeah, I do have, uh, we do have Kaylee Cuoco playing uh, 
playing Harley here. Like, like I said, I think it takes me a second because I'm so used to whether that's Arlene Sorkin or Hinden Walsh or Tara Strong or really everyone else who's, who's played Harley, even the, the live action Margot Robbie version has adopted that sort of uh, that sort of accent. So just hearing her do her normal voice did kind of throw me off a little bit, but I think, I think you settle into it pretty quick. And I think her bouncing off of Alan Tudyk's Joker and like Bell's Poison Ivy and even, you know, Diedrich Bader's Batman. I think you, you settle into it pretty quickly. At least I I did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I concur with that. Maybe unsurprisingly, I, I think, I think there are people that we, and after 220 plus episodes of this show, you, you get an ear for who, who is a, who gets voice acting and who should be a voice actor and who should not, or a voice actress Mm -hmm. or or a voice actress or who should not. And I think that uh, very quickly you realize, even if she's not doing the stereotypical Harley Quinn voice that you're used to, Kayla Cuoco is, is made for voice acting. She knows how to, how to, be quick with the dialogue and deliver it in a way that sounds like the character itself is speaking and she's not reading a a script. There's emotion and layering to it that she has to do sort of a dueling version of herself in this, where she's playing Harleen Quinzel and then playing Harley. So you have, uh, we've talked about that several times where, uh, you know, a, a voice actor or actress is playing sort of multiple characters and even though it's the same character it's two different styles of the same character so she does have to change up the way that she delivers the lines in those scenes to differentiate between the two the two personalities so uh yeah i i think i think that from the from the get-go it's very obvious is from that scene where she lands on the ship and begins her dialogue that She's very much cut out for voice actress work and, and uh, she, she hit a home run. I, you know, it did, did not bother me at all that she wasn't doing an accent. Um, And I, I just think that maybe it's, maybe it's because the fast paced nature of the show and the quick dialogue, but you have to be a certain type of voice actor or actress in order to be able to be successful in these type of shows. And I don't think there's anybody that could say that she she doesn't get it. Like it's very obvious that mm-hmm. she, that she understands uh, the assignment and and knocks it out of the park. So yeah, I, I think that she clearly made a statement even for this first episode that she belongs in this world of voice of uh, voice acting. And uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, it's, it's clear why they gave her the lead role for this uh, very, very important show at the time that was sort of supposed to be a part of this, DC universe app and streaming service going forward that was going to entice people to watch it. Um, so yeah, she, she's, she's really good. I think, I think she's uh, superb. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's, that's a great point that, you know, rather than her trying to do an impression of somebody else's version of, of this character in the same way that, you know, Hey, Diedrich Bader's Batman is not, really derivative of all at all of uh, of Kevin Conroy's Batman or or Reno Romano's Batman or whoever like there's there's certainly there's there's a certain vibe or a certain affectation that might uh, that might ring through all the different versions but it's yeah this this version is very much it looks different it's you know the, we've already talked about it from the from the violence and the jokes and and the language and everything it's it's a different they're going for a different vibe and I think having her be this sort of 
punk rock Harley, it totally fits. And, and she does a great job uh, uh, across, across the whole episode of, of setting that up again, from playing the, the still sort of naive Harley at the start of the, the episode all the way through to um, the end when she's, when she is finally sort of setting out on her own for real. Um, and yeah, I think, I think she just bounces off of, of Lake Bell and, and Alan Tudyk so well in this episode as well. Um, yeah, for, for all the reasons we've talked about are just such a, such an immensely talented voice cast. But to your point, Cal, these, these people aren't just in the cast because, Hey, they're, they're famous people that you've heard of They're They all do a, a darn good job across this episode. So, uh, I ended up giving voice acting, uh, a perfect 10. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I had no choice but to give it the same exact score. I also went with a 10 out of 10. It's, uh, it's pretty perfectly cast, and uh, it's it's hard to argue with anybody's performance here. I think I either said they were stupendous, superb, or knocked it out of the park for almost every single uh, cast member. So uh, I, I'm pretty much left with the choice <laughs> at that point. But yeah, strong scores from both of us on uh, on on the the voice acting, and just just goes to show you that the importance of you know even if the the rest of the show or parts of the show weren't necessarily my forte, the the voice acting is is done so so well that you know you you have to take note of that and, and appreciate it uh, when when reviewing it. So yeah, love that. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to the end of our episode. So let's total up our scores. Uh, totaling everything up on my end, I end up with a 30 out of 40. So pretty strong for a, a pilot episode of a, uh, of a cartoon. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I got a final score of 32 out of 40 as I ta- total everything up for myself. Uh, yeah, I think uh, as we can we can jump into rewatchability, it's always a little harder to do that with uh, with uh, non main DCAU stories. But as far as its own show, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's the first episode of the series. It's it's the jumping off point for everything that comes after. Even though it is such a you know heavily comedic show with a lot of wacky characters, there is still sort of a a narrative that is that is followed a sort of overarching story that is followed week to week here and and this is where it all kicks off so yeah this one's uh i think a pretty easy two thumbs up like i said it's i i kind of wish they had maybe focused even more on the wacky side characters right out of the gate but i i get that you want to do some table setting before you uh before you jump all the way into the deep end Sure, sure. Yeah, I think for as far as pilot episodes are, are go, this does exactly what it needs to do. It does set the table. It explains to you who the characters are. It makes your 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 lead character out to be both a sympathetic character and also recognize that she's got a lot of flaws to her, um, which sounds silly when your your main character is a supervillain. But you know, as far as her her uh her mentally and her realizing her own self-worth and all of that uh that she's different than at the end of the episode than where she starts so we talk about that a lot as having an impact on the uh on on whether or not the episode is is a mandatory rewatch or not i think if you're going to sit down and this is your type of humor this is your jam or this is your type of cartoon or hey you just want to give it a try again you're an adult and you want to watch this do so <laughs> viewer discretion advised if you're watching with kids don't recommend uh don't recommend it under the age of probably 15 if you're going to watch it maybe 14 i don't know i'm not a parent so uh <laughs> but 
but viewer discretion advised uh, when when doing so. But uh, if you're an adult and you you enjoy this type of humor, then my guess is that uh, you will enjoy this. So that's a thumb up. And then it's the pilot of the episode, so or pilot of the series. So you kind of got to understand a little bit about how we got to where we uh, where we're headed with uh, the different storylines that proceed throughout the throughout the show. So yeah, you're going to need to watch this one. So that's uh, that's thumb number two for me. So two thumbs up as well. Absolutely. All right, Liam, well, that'll begin to wrap things up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for checking us out. Don't forget, if, uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you so much. You can uh, do us a couple favors. Subscribe to us uh, on your favorite podcast app, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your program. Uh, subscribe if it allows you to leave a little review like on Apple Podcasts or a five-star review like on Spotify. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. That's one way you can support us and say, thanks. Uh, you can also, if you're interested in doing so, support us by uh, subscribing to the pod tower. As we mentioned at the top of the program, uh, you can head over to youtube.com slash the pod tower and uh, our episodes will be posted every Saturday. You can uh, check out the videos, listen to them there. If you want to, uh, you can like the videos that helps us subscribe to the channel. Also that helps us. So uh, those are a couple of ways to do so. You can also, uh, at the bottom of our anchor page or on a lot of the, the apps where our podcast is, there's a link. You can click on that link. If you wish to support us, uh, throw a couple of dollars our way, we would greatly appreciate that. You can also head over to dcaureview.com and check out the store. If you want to pick up a, a piece of merchandise to support us, we would greatly appreciate that too, but we know times are hard, so we don't expect that from you. We thank you. If you're listening, you can also subscribe, uh, or rather you can go and like us on your favorite, uh, favorite social media page, head over to, to Instagram and follow us there, or head over to Twitter and follow us at DCAU review on both pages. We have a lot of great conversations on Twitter. Liam does a fantastic job. We love interacting, talking about all things DC, whether it's animation or comic books or movies or whatever's happening. So join in the conversation over there, Liam. Uh, we are turning the page here. We are headed for, uh, believe it or not, the final, like, like the summer is coming to an end already. It's crazy. Can't believe it. But uh, we've got an exciting month ahead of us for the month of August. Let's talk about uh, what we'll be watching in the month of August. That is right, Cal. We'll be headed back to the DCAU proper next week. And uh, rather than pick a regular show to watch for the whole month, uh, we are doing another uh, character theme month. We've done a few of these in the past, and they are always quite a bit of fun. And this time up in the uh, driver's seat will be none other than The Flash himself, uh, Wally West. And we will be talking about the two-part episode, which will be hard to name because of the other show we've already talked about. It's called Brave and the Bull, parts one and two. <laughs> Uh, from Justice League Season 1. Not Batman, Brave and the Bold, the series, but the Justice League two-parter, uh, which, of course, not only is a Flash-focused episode, but also introduces Grodd and Gorilla City, uh, which, of course, is derivative of Mr. Wing's Bird City. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into that <laughs> stolen idea next week as we bring you a month focused all about the fastest man alive. Cannot wait. But until then... I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye. All right, P. John.